Baseball's 99-day national nightmare is over. I have to say, I am genuinely thrilled to be able to say that Major League Baseball's back and we're going to play 162 games. Presented by Kroger, this is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Jay Black, and we had this whole plan to promote a big show on Sunday and introduce you to the next in the long line of AJC Braves beat writers. But instead, we have our first emergency podcast of the season. Baseball is indeed back, so what a great way to bring in the man who will have the inside track on the Braves as they finally get to defend their World Series crown. So welcome to Atlanta, and welcome to the Braves Report, Justin Toscano. Hey, Jay. Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, I guess it's um, not a normal time in baseball and certainly not a normal time to introduce a new podcast co-host. But uh, here we are and we're doing an emergency pod. So let's get to it. And we will get to it right after this quick message from our friends at Kroger. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. A quick reminder, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, please follow or subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. So let's dig into what's in the deal. And we've spent a lot of time, well, really since December, you know, talking about money and luxury tax and pre-arbitration pools. But I I really want to start with how this agreement is going to change baseball and, and the game we see every day. Right. Um, I think the biggest thing for fans, because let's throw the money aside for now. The biggest thing for fans is the 12-team expanded postseason format. Um, And I think that'll be the most... We will talk about the rule changes starting in 2023, the ones that could be adopted. But the single most probably front-facing part of this deal is going to be that 12-team format for fans. Look, baseball is a sport that has, you know, as you and I know has historically had a difficult barrier of entry for the postseason. Um, And now to add two more teams is something the owners wanted. Now the owners wanted four more teams. The owners wanted 14. So the Players Association and the owners met in the middle on this. They compromised. And this is still, you know, going to increase the chances, you know, for a team like the Braves. Look, we, you know, we always see it every single year, you know, most years, the championship hangover. Uh, it's hard for teams to repeat. It's, you know, it just doesn't happen in baseball. And so to have the 12 team format uh, for the Braves specifically helps for everybody. It helps. But if you can get in, we've seen it in baseball year after year. If you can get in, you've got a shot. Just look at the Braves last year. And so this format, I think, will be something that fans really look at first and almost remember from this deal and until they can see the new rule changes right because I think you know in in history we've seen it yet in baseball you kind of know going into September whether you're in it or out of it you might have a little glimmer of hope um, but realistically it's just so tough to make the postseason now a bit easier 12 out of 30 teams are going to make it um and that's going to provide some more opportunities which i think could keep fans engaged uh, more toward the finish line and it's a three game series in that first round which which is i mean almost a lottery right because you, you, you don't you don't know and, and so 
you used to have the you know, you had the one game wild card format the three game series I'm a big fan of that personally um I really like the three game series now it, it standardizes it a, a little bit because you could have upsets but also you know let's be honest three games should be enough if you are the superior team talent wise to leave your mark especially with being able to throw you would think your top two starting pitchers or at least one of your top two starting pitchers depending on how you know you've formatted the rotation at the end of the season I personally like that I think it's going to lead to uh, a lot of good but this is something the owners wanted in terms of increasing the revenues in the postseason Um, but I also think as much as and I've been somebody who is pretty against postseason expansion I think that in baseball one of the um, factors that drew me and, and potentially others to the game was that it was so hard to make the postseason which makes 162 really count um but hey you know the chance to to do have 12 to have the the three game series in, in that first round I think that's going to be um something that also draws a lot of people in I think that'll be something that maybe gets complained about now that you might not complain about as much when you're you're seeing the big moments in those games you're seeing the big swings you're seeing the upsets um, and it's going to be, I, I think that's a, a, a fair way to do it. I like the change. And I think everybody, a lot of people are against change, especially in, in this sport specifically. But I think it's going to be interesting to try something new with this. Uh, though I was against postseason expansion um, in general, I think this is an interesting way to do it. What I want to see from postseason expansion is more of a reward for the teams that play the best over 162 games. Otherwise, what's the point? Do you think this making the lower seeds play three games now, does that provide enough of an incentive for the top teams to keep fighting it out? And does it give them more of an advantage in the division series to move on? Maybe, because you're having to expend you know so much of that energy, I think, and, and you're going to have to really... You already have to dance around some things to kind of mix and match your pitching staff in the postseason as a manager and now you know and really as a front office now you're going to have to do it more if you're in that situation that you just described because you've got to you know if you do move on there is some advantage for that that higher seed because you're going to be you know you're going to be having played having expended energy expended arms but then again I think we've seen sometimes in baseball a little bit of a layoff isn't a good thing uh you might and that's the thing that strikes me about this that I think could go either way um, in this format is that will the higher seeds effectively be somewhat annoyed at having a, a tad bit of that layoff um, or is the ex- a little bit of rest going to be a good thing? Uh, I don't know. You know, if you you because look throughout the whole COVID season when teams would have breakouts or, you know, outbreaks and might miss five or six days. Now, it won't be that many this time but we would hear so much about the, the hitters getting out of whack and not getting regular at-bats and not having seen live pitching. So, you know, in the sense of on paper, this format should give the higher seed that advantage uh, to make sure you want to be the higher seed. But, and, and obviously, you know, the home field advantage at that is important. But, you know, it, it could go either way because if a team gets hot, the lower seed gets hot, wins that first series, they could be coming hot against a team who, you know, had a couple days. And so I think it really could go either way, and I think we're going to see uh, some of those results in the, in the first couple years of, of this deal, really. 
Here's uh, what Rob Manfred said about the rule changes. And maybe most important is the agreement that we reached with the MLBPA on rule changes. Um, I love our game. Having said that, um, since I've been commissioner, I've talked about the need uh, to make changes in some of our rules to enhance the entertainment value of our product for the benefit of our fans. Uh, and I think the new agreement opens an opportunity that we can work with the players to make sure that we make good rule changes that works for our fans, works for our players. We know the big rule change in 2022, aside from the playoffs, is, is the designated here. We all knew that was coming, and, and the days of the pitcher hitting are over. What do you expect we will see in 2023 now with the league being able to implement their changes very quickly? Yeah, so I mean, there are really a, a myriad of options in terms, you know, like pitch clock, you know, base size, defensive positioning, and then like the auto, you know, robot umps. And I think um, one of those that seems easy that was was tested uh, down in, in the minors was the the larger bases. Um, and I think if you look at the data, there were more successful steals from the season that that they used that. Now, I think that's interesting. I think that's something MLB is going to push for because MLB as it stands, sorely lacks in action. Um, when you watch a college football game, you watch an NFL game, you watch a college basketball game, you watch an NBA game. Heck, you watch a soccer game. There, There is more action in those sports than there is in Major League Baseball. Now, that's not a bad thing. Baseball's got its place for being the laid-back sport. That can get wild at times. It, the Baseball, you know, is foregoing to the ballpark on a sunny summer day um taking in the sights taking in the sounds taking in the breeze all that but it needs it needs more action and i think mlb knows that and this is a way to do that larger bases probably more you know guys beating out infield hits more stolen bases um because teams a lot of times you don't see as much running these days because you get on base and you want to you know teams are teams want to have boppers you want to hit that, you know, bring that guy home, not because he stole second and you lined a single up the middle, but because he hit one over the wall and you got two runs instead of that. And so I think this is going to incentive, a, you know, larger bases would incentivize, um, you know, more steal attempts and then uh, more aggressive base running. And then I think an easy one right here is right to talk about is the pitch clock. I mean, I think that's something that Will it make a drastic difference in the time you spend watching a baseball game? Probably not, no. But I think Major League Baseball has to start shaving off at least a little bit of time here and there as it can to these, you know, game times. And I think that's just an easy way to do it. Uh, and I think anybody, look, like pitching's a craft, and you, you do have those guys who like to work a lot slower. Um, and then there are guys who like to be a lot more deliberate. I just think that... In this day and age, 2022, you got to pick the ball up and throw it. I think that's a that should be something that should be a welcome change. Um, and I think that's one that, you know, um, that that's really relatively easy to do. Now, there's going to be a joint committee that goes over these and, and looks at adopting them, you know, into the game starting next year. And another one of those is uh, the ever so hot debate topic of robo -umps. What do you think about that? <laughs> I'm a I'm a tradition I'm like a 60 year old in a 36 year old's body, but we can all see it. We all know when we can see it on television. We can see it on the app. We all know what a strike is. 
I can live with it. I can accept it. Um, I love the pitch clock because that's how the game used to be played. You pick up the ball and you threw it. And it's not the, the – t- well, the time of the game is the problem. The bigger issue is the pace of the game. Right. If you have constant action for three and a half hours, we're in good shape. It's still a little long, but everybody can live with it. Just when things are dragging on and nothing is happening and it's strikeout and homer. I'm not real wound up about the bigger bases either. I'm not real wound up about the shift, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope it is a better game. I hope there is more action. I hope it's not 15 to 12 every night, but I do hope that the pace increases with these proposed changes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, um, look, I see some of the vitriol <laughs> with with the shift as is. And so I think eventually that was going to get banned because, look, the game's best hitters are often shifted against um, heavily. And, you know, you look at a guy like Joey Gallo, you look at, heck, even, you know, Freddie Freeman. But that's one I believe that I don't know if that needed to be touched. I'm not going to argue it. As it comes to the robo-umps, I think the interesting part of that is there's some sort of perception and there's a bar there. And what I mean by that is um, we haven't even gotten to the introductory part. But hi, my name is Justin. I used to cover the Mets. And when I covered the Mets, I remember having a conversation with uh, Luis Rojas, their former manager, who made a really good point that seems simple and maybe I'm dumb for having never thought about it. But... He said, there's so much arguing about the calls these days, and there's so much hate everywhere for umpires. And it's basically, and you know, we were talking about that, and his point was that people can see because they have game day now and there's pitch tracking. That's why, that's why we're bringing this up now, and that's why it wasn't brought up 30 years ago. You know, Obviously, we didn't have the technology, but my point being, that's why we're talking about this, and that's why it's become so big of an issue in the last three, four, five years because we have pitch tracking and because the average, you know, the casual fan could sit at home and look at the game day feed um, and see where each pitch landed versus what it was called. And so I think it's, uh, I'm in that sense, in that category, I am a traditionalist and I, you know, I'd like the umpires to stay, but Hey, I'm not playing the game. I'm not at the negotiating table. I'm all for change. The game was going to change anyways. uh, And I think the bigger issue is that we just need to change with it. But I'm kind of with you on this. And I know that doesn't make for good podcasting. I know I should be yelling your head off about something you said right now. I'm just not real razzed about any of the rule changes. I just think it's, you know, it it was, they were, they were moderate things that I thought were bound to happen eventually, especially with the shift. That one to me is the craziest one because I think, um, Look, like I, I, I mean, I guess it, it seems hard to ban something that came from the the brain power of people who studied the game and and just started collecting this data, and and so that to me takes away a vital weapon in the game. But I'm not all up in arms about any of these things, and I think that's, I mean, I think that's a good thing, and I'll spin that as a good thing because I think if people were the, these are things rule changes that will be debated and hotly debated at that. But I think if these rule changes stood out above the rest in this deal, that that might be an issue. Now, are they going to change the way you consume the game and the way you watch it? Yeah, sure. But I don't think they're outlandish enough to have you and I here right now screaming about how the game is in bad shape. Like, I think it's just the evolution of the game, and these things are a product of that. They're kind of forced gimmicks 
to hopefully get the presentation of the game back to where it was in its golden era in the 50s and the 60s, where we have the pace of the game. We have people running. We have hit and runs. We've got singles. We've got doubles. Well, we can't take away a whole analytics department, which has gotten the game to where it is now. So now these are kind of forced measures to sort of get that action back in the game. So I, I don't like it, but I hope I'm wrong, and I hope it makes for better baseball. Now, let's talk about the money situation. And most people do not care about a luxury tax because it ain't their money. But how will it affect the competition? Does it really change anything in the way teams will spend? Uh, no, I actually, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe moderately, if you are the New York Mets with Steve Cohen, um, or the Los Angeles Dodgers, or the Yankees, or another team here and there. But you have so many teams who didn't even get close to the $210 million luxury tax. Including um, this here team in Atlanta. Right, exactly. And so there's nothing that gets me to believe that's going to change. And figure, figure this in. If you, do the, if you were to do the math on the luxury tax surcharge, all those things, look, like Steve Cohen said it with the Mets last year, if you're going to go over the luxury tax, there's no point in going over by $2 million. You better just blow through it, and you better just yeah. blow through it really, really, really hard. So look, like, am I inclined to believe, you know, the Royals or the Diamondbacks or the Twins are going to be now spending two hundred fifteen million dollars because the luxury tax is going to start at two twenty, um, or at two thirty? No, like I, I'm just not, and I won't. I won't believe that until I see it, and that's one of those things where. The players had to definitely fight for it because it encourages more spending. Yes, that, and I think those are two different things. It encourages it. I don't know if it accomplishes it. The Braves Report is brought to you by Kroger, and if I had to bet, there's a couple of issues everybody's got right now listening to this podcast. One is time. We're all very busy, and the other is the soaring price of gasoline. Well, Kroger's got a solution here, becoming a Kroger Boost member. So this is a new level of membership that gets you more savings, more benefits, including free delivery on your Kroger groceries. So that'll save you a good hour or two having to go to the store to shop. You don't have to stand in line, and you don't have to spend any more money to get the privilege of having your groceries delivered. Also, Kroger Boost members get two times the fuel points. And if you haven't noticed, gas is completely out of hand. So you get to save money, you get to save time, and you get double fuel points. All this for as little as 59 bucks a month. So go to Kroger.com slash boost to enroll. That's Kroger.com slash boost. Now, while we're speaking of money here in this deal, the pre-arbitration pool, one of the major complaints, of course, has been service time manipulation. What is the pre-arbitration pool, and will that accomplish what it's trying to do? Yeah, so the pre-arbitration pool is meant to ensure that those players with service time from years zero through three uh, basically get more money if they deserve it. So it is intended to give the top players with under three years of service time more money based on how they fare statistically, like with voting and things like that. So in essence, the Fernando Tatises of the world and the years ago, Ronald Acuna Juniors of the world wouldn't have to be making the league minimum because they would deserve more. Now, I think that's that's a good thing because it's going to get those players paid, you know, a lot more. Baseball is just a in baseball in general has the toughest road to free agency. Um, and, and six years in baseball, it's very tough to to have that peak value after year six so you can make as much as you possibly can. Now, 
I don't know if this fix, you know, like service time manipulation, things like that. There were things in the deal that are there to prevent that, um, which I think is good. Um, but this is this is a good thing because players, the game superstars should be rewarded on, on a higher level than they are. And that's an issue that baseball has faced for a long time is that Ronald Acuna Jr. was making as much as, you know, the, the rookie reliever. And it shouldn't be that way. And so I think that I think this is a good thing. Um, but I know the union pushed for more. I just know it came down to a compromise. Now, it's going to be interesting to see exactly the split in the system and, and the math of how these numbers are actually figured. Like, I personally have not looked at that yet and done the math myself based on voting and based on other things. Um, but it's But it's a good thing because that's been an issue in the game for so long is that these players from who you know years zero through three are are making the league minimum and yes like people who are listening to this are not going to have any sympathy like most of them aren't gonna and i get that because it's still you know six hundred thousand dollars around there which what it was last year that's a lot of money to the average person but i think this is good for the game and that you know it it really encourages you know teams to to market those stars and i think to um it encourages that good performance this is the braze report from the atlanta journal constitution what's so great about being a kroger boost member free delivery on the kroger products you love and more rewards too like double fuel points on everything you buy experience a new level of membership starting as low as 59 dollars a year with boost by kroger plus Learn more at Kroger.com today. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. All right, this is the Braves Report with Jay Black and our new AJC Braves beat reporter, Justin Toscano. You'll be hearing from us throughout the season, and we do want to remind you that the Braves Report is free for everybody because of the subscribers to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Now, this is Atlanta's Information Center, and your subscriptions are what allow us to have in-depth reporting that you won't find anywhere else and experts and authorities on every subject in Atlanta, including, of course, Braves Baseball. And you get that all in the same place on AJC.com and in the newspaper. So if you want to join the community, please go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you really know what is going on. One of baseball's biggest issues, Justin, has been tanking. They think they found a solution to that in this new draft. Is that going to accomplish what, it, what they hope it will? I think so to a degree. Um, now they're going to do a draft lottery with the top you know, six selections being determined via that lottery. I think it's going to – I don't think you're ever going to fix tanking in the sense that it's going to just be a result of teams not spending. But I think you're going to decentivize it with this draft lottery because Team X knows, you know, it's it's not going to be shooting for the first or second pick. And look, I think we've seen in baseball and in all sports, there's a big there could be a big difference between pick 3 and pick 4. And so I do think teams are really going to have to think hard about this, and it, it does decentivize tanking. I don't think you're ever going to fix the issue in the sense because I think that stems from, if you don't know, you've got 
a contender, you might not be as willing to spend. Um, so that's tanking is a symptom of that mindset. But I think it's going to largely decentivize it. And I think it's a good thing that they implemented. They're implementing a draft lottery because now Team X is not going to be able to race to be the team with the most losses, knowing that the number one pick is there to be secured. But I've never thought that baseball teams, other than a couple of them a year, truly seek to tank. It's more of just a symptom of not spending. And I think that's the bigger issue that the players tried to attack in the CBA, whether whether it actually be like through this or what we just talked about with the competitive balance tax. That's really the issue we're going to have to see over the next two to three years um, is are the owners actually encouraged more to spend to spend more or are they going to keep crying poor one one thing that really i think will help at least multi-year tanking is that other part of it where you can only be in the lottery once if you're a large market team or twice if you're a small market team if you if you repeat you get kicked down to the 10th pick in the draft or so so that that part won't hurt we'll just have to dumb sports cliche we'll see how it plays out bottom line though on on this deal is it fair or not? Are we going to have some labor peace now? And I know that's tough to answer six hours after it's come out, but... Yes, um, I have read a lot. My brain is fried. Uh, we have been digesting this for <laughs> 99 days. Um, but yes. I think, honestly, this is a relatively fair deal. Um, the players held out for so long because they felt that they were... The, that MOB had a severe amount of leverage in the last CBA. But let's be honest here. Were the players going to get it all back in one swing? I I don't think so. But I think they did accomplish things that could encourage ownership to spend more, the owners to spend more. And there are measures that should get players paid more, whether it be the increase to minimum salaries or the pre-arbitration bonus pool. And with that luxury tax threshold going up, there will be more teams who spend more. Will they break the luxury tax threshold? Maybe not, but their payrolls might be two hundred and five million instead of one hundred and ninety million. So in in that way, you're creating more money for your players. Um, and then you have the universal DH, which look, it might seem simple because we've known it's coming, but it still creates more jobs. I think this was as fair. I think this is pretty fair. It's it's hard to pick a winner and a loser in this one because I think each side when they started losing money came together somewhat in the middle in a lot of this uh your next question of will there be label or labor peace do we have another two and a half hours because I think that one is um (laughs) I think that one that one's a little tougher but look Rob Manfred today said that you know, his job as commissioner and his goal was to have a great relationship with players. And he admitted as much that he has not accomplished that. And he called Tony Clark today expressing a desire to work with the players. I think there will be labor peace in the sense that the sides seem like they have gotten to a point where they can work more closely on issues instead of MLB unilaterally doing so. Um, but I am not ready to say that there is still not a lot of vitriol on, on the player's side about this, uh, for how everything was handled and how everything was played out in the media and how the owners position, positioned themselves, um, 
in a public relations sense. I think that is going to take a, a long time to repair, but I think there's solid ground for these sides to work more closely together on these things so it it doesn't feel like um, the players are subordinates. Now let's talk about the fun part, which is the rest of the offseason moves begin or have just started. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how chaotic is this weekend going to be? Um, 12. Uh, 13, 14, 15. Um, I'll, I'll settle on 15. I think it's going to be crazy because you think about these executives who haven't been able to communicate with players, their agents or rival clubs. Um, who's the first call you even make? Um, (laughs) I know the the first call, I know the first call Alex Anthopoulos should make, but, um, but it's going to be crazy because there are so many teams with really a lot of holes because you think about when in the the last couple years things have really picked up in january and february and this year we didn't have that which means we've got a weekend to go through january and february uh (laughs) players can start reporting to the facility as soon as you know march 11th but they are it's a mandatory report date on march 13th the sunday and so yeah, teams are really going to be looking to round out their rosters and not even round out their rosters. Some teams have to have a lot of work to do. Carlos Correa isn't signed. Anthony Rizzo isn't signed. Chris Bryant isn't signed. Uh, there happens to be a guy in Atlanta, you know, who's played for Atlanta. His name's Freddie Freeman. He is also, as we speak, a free agent with suitors. Um, I'm sure we will get to that. But it, it's going to be... It's going to be pretty crazy. I mean, did you did you screw on your head tight so it doesn't go spinning off this weekend? Uh, yes, but we'll, we'll find out by the time we get to Monday. We fully expect, by the way, the back half of this podcast to be dated. Maybe by the time it comes out on Friday morning. But let's go ahead and go with Freddie. Where do things stand now and what's going to happen? Yeah, so I think it's um, from the outside looking in right now, obviously the Braves haven't been able to say anything uh, about it, even off the record. But I, I think, look, you – when you don't extend a guy like that, you open the door for this nightmare to happen where now he's got suitors. Uh, if you do resign him, you're going to have to pay more and he's going to have the leverage in that way. But I think that maybe it's, maybe it's just me, but watching from afar as he answered a lot of those questions last year with, you know, I think everybody knows I want to stay here. Uh, this is where I want to be. Things like that. Shutting down a lot of that stuff. I think that's still, you know, like I, I think I think there's some weight to that. So right now where things stand is um, the Braves really have to feel out who his other suitors are and, and where they fit in that. They should, you would expect them perhaps to still be the front runners in terms of being able to match, you know, any offer that comes in or, or being able to feel it out that way. But this, based on everything that's been reported over the past few months, seems like very much an, an open race. I am curious, you know, to get your take about where this team stands since you have been been watching them from afar. How do you expect the rest of this roster to to fill out and, you know, the outfielders that have not been signed, et cetera, by the time spring training opens next week? Right. Yeah. I think um first you gotta look at Freddie. If I were to I'm not even gonna make it. You didn't even ask me for a prediction, so I'm not gonna get skewered if I'm I'm wrong. But I think I think. Oh no, a, no, that's coming. Make a prediction. <laughs> oh God. Um, I would say 
I would say Freddie Freeman stays with the Braves if I had to say right now, gun to my head. Um, so then I'm going to keep funneling down to their other priorities. I think, look, you got, you've got Charlie Morton, Max Freed, uh, and Ian Anderson seem like pretty much locks. Now, the Braves do have internal options in terms of, you know, Moeller, Davidson, Wright for, for the last two spots. You know, uh, uh, whoever really they want to go with. But is that the smartest thing for a contender to do, especially a contender looking to repeat? You think you would think they might have to add help there, like uh, some veteran experience, another quality starter, another proven starter um, to round themselves out there. I, I think there could be a starting pitching uh, addition on the way. Um, they've got enough bullpen help, especially be- because they've got so many of those fringe rotation guys um, to plug in the bullpen. And they signed Kirby Yates, who, you know, when he's healthy, you know, if he can be the guy we saw in San Diego, um, can really add a nice boost to them. Now you get to the outfielders, and uh, I'm almost regretting not taking a drink of water before this one. But <laughs> um, I think the fact that Marcelo Zuna is eligible to begin the season with the Braves um, complicates things. Because I think without that, you would have said, if you look at Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, and Jorge Soler, you would have said that the Braves probably could sign two of those guys um, and, and then go from there. Because you think about Adam Duvall having declined the option but still being under team control. Um, but with Marcelo Zuna and with his, you know, his reputation for no longer being able to perhaps provide you with a good left fielder there's your dh right there and i think that was a position a spot that that could have allowed jorge soler to be one of the guys that got signed and now you know soler still could play i mean he's played in the outfield but you're gonna have ronald acuna coming back um sometime you know it i had heard that he's still on track for for may or by may and so it's going to be tough. It's tough to envision them and what they're going to do. But I think, I think you only really maybe have room for one of those guys because you have Guillermo Heredia too. And so um, I think, you know, a guy like perhaps like Eddie Rosario probably makes the most sense uh, right now if you're going to get a more all around guy in that group because you don't need like I said I mean Jorge Soler would have been a great DH there's possibly still room for them to sign two of those guys but I think um looking at it now with Ozuna back Brian Snicker commented in a story in the Athletic uh last month saying that you know Ozuna he expected him to be there so let's go with that for now it's going to be tough for the Braves to justify not re-signing Freddie Freeman and re-signing two of those outfielders. Um, so I think what they've got to do is they've really got to go for one of those outfielders like Eddie Rosario and then re-sign Freddie Freeman. And that's how I see, I, I don't know if there's room for two of them or, you know, and you can, you can debate Liberty media's revenues and they, sh- they could spend more. Sure. But I'm just saying what probably could happen or we would project to happen. Um, it seems like only one of those guys, two at most, would be signed of, of that outfield group. Um, but it's the Braves really can kind of mix and match that outfield in multiple ways, and that'll be really interesting to see what they do, especially because, as I said, I, I'm not sure Marcelo Zuna can give you a great left field anymore. 
we got a lot we're going to be paying attention to uh, this this weekend and, and early next week as everybody now runs down to camp. And, and you're going to be staying in Florida for the next few weeks now. So, um, hi, you're Justin. Tell everybody uh, who you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm uh, Justin Toscano. I am a San Diego native. I went to Arizona State. Um, I Oh, I used to cover the Mets for two years. Don't throw apples at me. I'm glad I'm not in a live audience right now. Um <laughs> But well, Braves left, fans, so that's a plus. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Braves fans uh, who might not like me for covering the Mets. I can, I can assure you this: you can love me now because the Mets fans hate me. So I need somebody to love me. <laughs> um, the Mets fans hate me. They think I'm a traitor. So I'm here, and I, I hope to be welcomed with open arms because I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just the uh, the NL East's biggest turncoat this year. So I think, um, yeah, that that's that's pretty funny. So. You don't have to dislike me because the Mets fans already dislike me for coming to the quote-unquote, in their words, dark side. But no, it's good to be here. I'm really excited to get going on the Mets trips when I covered the team. I always really, really liked coming to Atlanta. Um, I've been here a lot in my life, and uh, it's a blessing to be able to live in a city like that and work for a place like the AJC that's really... um, to be honest, like one of those places you see when you want to do this and you want to be in this industry and you're in high school, you're in college, uh, you look at the AJC as one of those places that you'd want to work at. And so to be here, I'm, I'm really blessed. And uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm looking forward to kind of getting this podcast going again with you. Yeah. And we're going to be a lot, we're going to be a lot more regular. And we wanted to also let you know that you haven't seen us this off season, but you will see us every week and every week next off season. Um, we're not leaving, so you can you can get tired of us. You can get tired of our voices, but uh, we're going to be here, right? Yeah, we got a lot of cool look, a lot of cool things coming down the pipe as we get the Braves report back going again. How do people uh, find you on the socials if they're hearing you for the first time? Heck yeah! So um, on Twitter, I'm Justin C Toscano. That's uh, Justin C and then T O S C A N O. And then my Instagram, my work Instagram, a lot of fire pictures on there is uh, my first name, my last name, and then writes at the end. So. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's where you can find me. I'm sure I'll be uh, tweeting about the Braves, and I honestly I cannot tell you what I'll be tweeting about in 12 hours because it's it's gonna be madness. Um, but we're gonna be here for every step of it, and then we're going to talk about it and provide our takes on it next week. Um, but it's uh, it's gonna be a fun time. It's gonna be a fun season as the Braves look to repeat. Uh, and there's just look like there's just so much to talk about and uh we're gonna be here for all of it it's funny because i think we should let listeners a little behind the curtain you and i this week were talking about how we were going to spread out the minor league (laughs) content that i got this week down in northport yeah i think i think we're gonna have enough to talk about for uh for the foreseeable future yes we, we we do have some interviews with minor leaguers that's going to stay in the can uh, for a little bit because uh, because the Major League boys are coming back to Florida this weekend. So please, if you have not done so, rate, review, follow, share, and subscribe. And thank you for listening to the Braves Report with Jay Black and Justin Toscano from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. 
We lead with heart. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh,